Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The Carl Nelson Show. Grand Rising Wake Up Squad, and thanks for starting your week with us again. Later, Pan-African advocate Dr. David Horn will take over our classroom. Dr. Horn will report on how the GOP civil war impacts us internationally and domestically and policy-wise. Dr. Horn will also address the voter apathy in the black community. But to get us started, banking and financial expert Donald Parker is here. Good morning, Darnell. Good morning, Carl. Thanks for having me on your show again. All right, Donnell, explain to us, you know, people say the economy is about to implode. They see uh, interest rates going up. But then other people on some folks say, well, you know, the economy is doing robust. It's it's better than most economies in the world. Why why did the economy of thought here? Well, Carl, these statements that I'm about to say is not part of the Federal Reserve, the Department of Treasury, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or the Office of Comptroller of the Currency. These comments and statements are my analysis, my projection, and my statements only. So you're always going to have the yin and the yang when it comes to these conversations, um, even when it comes to finance. When, it, when somebody want to buy or lease, we make decisions off the of information we receive. So sometimes we do get information that um, different economists or financial analysis will be done, and they will have different um, analysis that come out. So for my analysis, I would say this. Um, since the Federal Reserve and Congress can print money at any time, um, when they print money for a certain purpose or any purpose, um, we are um, actually um, not running correctly. Um, the economy should not be able or a system, a capitalist system or a social system should not be able to print money at any time to give out to people or corporations. When that is done, that means that we are not doing good. When they have to print money, doesn't matter if it's a pandemic or it doesn't matter if there's a financial crisis. When you print money, that means the economy is not doing good. And we see in 2020, when we print money for the pandemic, that we, we, the economy itself cannot sustain. So when they print money, that means that um, the economy is not doing good. So is that why we have a recession? Because they printed this, this they're throwing this extra cash into the economy? Yeah. So technically, they would say that we're not in a recession because they play with the GDP numbers all the time. For most of your listening audience, they probably felt like there was in a recession probably back in September 2020 or even some of us before that. So um, the underserved community, the unbanked and the people not considered in the top 10 or 20 percent, they already felt that um, we are in a recession already. So what about these bank closures? We, uh, for a while, we saw a spate of bank closures, then it sort of leveled off. And now we see some more banks are closing. What's going on with that? Well, there is a liquidity, liquidity issue um, because the Federal Reserve pumped $500 billion in 2019 into the repo market. 
um, they push liquidity into the capital markets, or we call you know capital markets into the um, into the system. So they gave money to some primary um, broker dealers, where they allocate money to other banks to secure um, some banks to to stand up and also the economy to stand up. So at one point in time in 2021, we went up to three trillion dollars that the Federal Reserve pumped money out. Uh, around September 2022, the Federal Reserve and the Department of Treasury start liquidating those funds down to three trillion to 1.1 trillion. Now we at right now we are at an inflection point that um, whoever received money back in 2019 and who didn't pay back the Federal Reserve, we're going to see which bank failed because of the liquidity crisis, because of the higher interest rates are causing commercial banks, commercial real estate, uh, people are not um, paying their loans. In retail, you see credit cards are at an all-time high. People are not paying their auto loans, so the repos are coming up. So we are seeing not on a, this consumer lending side, we're seeing on states, city, federal government, um, all over the board, people are not paying their bills. So uh, something's about to hit the fan um, soon. Uh, so uh, is the government still at the thought that uh, certain banks are too big to fail? Do you think they still believe that? Well, yes, they believe that because back in 2008, they planned for this already. Um, they already planned and saying that um, that statement was started around 2008 financial crisis when Greensboro was like Greensburg, um, the Federal Reserve, former Federal Reserve chairman came in and talked to the secretary of treasury and a couple of the investment bankers like um, Jamie Dimon. He was on the board of the Federal Reserve, but also chairman of the um, J. Morgan Chase, which is the conflict of interest. And they basically said they needed money to secure Sherman Lehman and a couple other institutions. And they said that that statement back in um, a couple of movies and a doc- is documented said it's too big to fail. From that point on, that's their statement. Um, from my point, from going to college and understand economics, um, I'm not supporting Karl Marx and all of his theories, but Karl Marx said it, said it the best. Capitalism only works until the American people find out it doesn't work for them because bailing out corporations is a, it's called socialism. Bailing out people is called socialism. The government should not bail out anyone. If it, if it does, it's called socialism. So, so that's what I'm going by definition. I'm not going by um, what the media says. I'm going by what I learned in college is that anytime the government bail out anyone, that program or that government is, is a social program. Right. Uh, seven minutes after Tom, I'm just waking up. Our guest is uh, Donald Parker. He's a banking and financial expert. We're talking about money, folks, international money. Here. And, and he's going to give us some tips what we can do, because a lot of these changes, they're already in motion. Uh, and most of the times we, we, we're on the late train. We miss it all. So it, that's why we have Donnell here this morning. We're talking about the banks. So do you anticipate more, more mergers of some of these smaller banks, uh, Donnell? I wouldn't call it merger. The smaller banks actually is going to um, close because we're leaving the old fee-based system. We're going into a collateral-based system, and the fee-based system is going to be replaced by blockchain technology. So people can send money to each other within three to five seconds for pretty much free. Um, And currently, when we send money, it takes a longer time, so the bank charges us more money 
on the back end from, you know, charging us to have a bank account, charging us for um, wire transfers. So in the future, those wire transfers is going to be free because blockchain technology is going to allow you to send money basically within three to five seconds and for free. So a lot of these banks are going to close because they don't, they're going to have a liquidity issue. The big difference between a big bank and not the only difference, but a big difference is between a systemic important financial institution or the big banks, we call it the, the big 11 to 13 banks, is that um, they have other entities they can raise capital or raise money. They have a pretty much a primary broker dealer. They have um, they sell stocks and bonds. They can, they can raise money that way. They have a larger commercial um, division. They can make money. They have multiple ways or multiple re- revenue streams. A smaller bank cannot do that. Most, majority of them can't do that. So if the primary bank fails, the whole um, entity fails. I'm going to ask this question to, to you know, as, as far as the banks are concerned with this new blockchain technology, because I've seen a lot of banks and a lot of banks, I've seen some banks been closing their doors, they, you know, closing branches it's all over the place. They're closing branches. Is this caused by this blockchain technology or is it the economy just slowing down? Carl, it's a mixture of both. Um, bank branches do not make banks money. It actually costs them money. So um, a lot of banks should have, because of technology, should have been closing more banks earlier, probably back in 2016 or 2017. The reason they haven't closed many banks is political. If you take banks out of you know, um, certain demographics, um, Congress will probably um, – probably, uh, give pushback or probably criticize them uh, because of CRA. Um, Community Reinvestment Act, um, all banks have to comply with that to make sure they're giving money to underserved communities, um, unbanked, and um, other uh, areas that are considered underserved. So um, how can I say this? Um, As you know, African Americans, for centuries since we integrated we always had issues with access to capital. And this is one of the reasons that we don't have access to capital because we don't have a lot of branches in our neighborhoods. All right. And, and, and as far as the interest rates go, because now they say the interest rates are the highest they've been since uh, 2000. And they also saw a report this morning about if you purchase a home, it's going to take you much longer before you, you even uh, you, you, it'll even show any profit for those folks who buy homes for profit, you know, like to flip buy and flip homes uh, is that is that is what is causing that and and do you see a change in that in the near future future no i do not see a change in the near future um rates i have a reasonable belief that rates will go up i, I believe that the chairman will raise rates again um before uh first quarter 2024 and um the main reason it's causing it is that you have less borrowers in the market uh, because the high interest rate and the capital requirements that you need to put down on a collateral to obtain a mortgage, um, the banks have tied up their credit, um, their credit underwriting. Like, for example, back maybe in 2019, you might can get a home with a 620 credit scores. A lot of banks are saying they want somebody with a 660 or 680 minimum credit score to get a uh, mortgage. So that take out some borrowers because the high interest rates, you get less house than you did two years ago. So a lot of people say, no, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to um, get into the mortgage market right now. 
And then another reason is that when you look at the market, a lot of the consumers are saying, well, I'm at a risk of being laid off. I'm seeing banks laying off. Um, Nokia just laid off 14,000 worldwide. So a lot of these entities um, we've seen with Microsoft, Amazon, and the tech, tech business laid off last year. So because of layoffs, you have less power. So it's a combination of multiple factors that you have less buyers, which push back any investors buying homes to trying to flip them or trying to rent them out. They had to really think about the carrying costs with the higher interest rate. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know, we come up on a break, but when we come back, though, I want you, if you can explain to the audience the ripple effects when the layoffs start. When you, because some people think, oh, well, my job is safe because, you know, but they're laying off teachers or they're laying off uh, bank employees or laying off people at different stores. But I, I don't work there, so I'm, I'm good. Hey, can you explain the, the, the ripple effect and why they should be concerned, even though they're not in a certain sector of the labor force that, that seems unaffected, that there is a ripple effect that, that will, some, will somehow at some point just reach them as well? I, I, I'll let you explain that after we check out, take our first look at the traffic and weather in our different cities at 14 after the top of the hour. Folks, you want to join this conversation with our guest. His name is Darnell Parker, talking about uh, banking and finances. What are your thoughts? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV or on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL or information is power. Good morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top there with our guest, uh, Donald Parker. Donald is a banking and financial expert. Before we left for the traffic and weather update, though, my question to him was about the ripple effect of the unemployment numbers come out. And if you could explain that, because, you know, some folks on the way to work right now and, and they don't see layoffs in, in their field, but they, they hear about the layoffs in other fields and, and they think their job is safe. But could this be a ripple effect as far as the economy is concerned, Donnell? Um, yes, it's going to be a ripple effect across um, the, the globe, not just the United States, the globe. As we know what happened in the pandemic, um, a lot of layoffs um, happened starting um, with the pandemic. And then we've seen a lot of layoffs in the tech business in 2022. And we've seen consistent layoffs worldwide um, this year. So when someone loses their job, um, the majority of Americans, as we know, uh, at, FDIC said 80% of Americans don't have $2,500 in their bank account. Then the Federal Reserve stated that uh, 40% of Americans don't have $400 for emergency. So with those numbers, we can see that those people don't have um, retained earnings or money or cash reserves to um, sustain um, their lifestyle after losing their job. So um, close to 80% of people are living check to check in America. So when they lose their job, 
it would have a ripple effect on them probably going to family and friends and asking for money. And that can create a lot of stress for that individual. So any friends or family that you know lose their job, they can have um, anxiety, stress, um, panic. Um, They have to find ways like how do you maintain their home, their apartment, their car, how they're going to eat. So they might, might get a phone call from a friend or family to borrow money in which we always say borrow, but it really pretty much cannot have money. Um, it might be a situation they might say, okay, hey, can I move in? Um, so you have to consider, do you want to take that family friend in while to, you know, so they can sustain a, a certain um, lifestyle or living. And when it comes to corporations, um, these corporations will have less employees and it's going to be a decrease in demand and goods and services um, worldwide. And when that happens is that um, the prices of goods and services might go up because of the demand of uh, the demand is, is not there or it can increase or decrease depends on um, the goods and services. So even the corporation will have an effect on um, mass layoffs as well. And at the same time, though, uh, Donnell, there were, there were places a, a few months ago were saying they can't find employees. There's the, the jobs are, were begging. What what has happened? Is that flipped? Are people still are still uh, companies still looking for, to hire people now? Yes, yeah, so a lot of companies are still looking to hiring people. If any, when you look at the industry, any jobs that are making around fifty five thousand or less, um, as a American citizen. Does it make sense going in to make fifty-five thousand or less when the high interest rate, the cost of goods, um, um, the food prices is very high? Does it really? By the time you get paid, is it really work worth um, working those forty hours? And that's the dilemma: is like the fruits and vegetables, the bread, the milk, um, the car, um, you know, the, the price of cars and gas. Is it really worth going in to work? Um, only making fifty five thousand less. So a lot of those jobs, it's hard to find um, help and assistance. Uh, the, these job openings are, are they in Silicon Valley? Are they in the uh, the higher end of the economy? Jobs at the vacancies there are, or are in the, uh, the people who can't find jobs? I'm just trying to figure this out. Are the ones at the at the lower end of the socioeconomic ladder? Which what is it? Oh yes, yes, Carl. Um, well, let me start with Silicon Valley because that's what you first stated. Uh, Silicon Valley, they actually been laying off since 2022. Um, a lot of the um, projects in IT been cut back because of high interest rates. So we've seen that the Silicon Valley, the information technology companies, um, been laying off since 2022. Um, but the, most of these jobs are lower jobs that are making 55000 less. You can look at some restaurants is the key. Um, when you go to restaurants, you sit down. The service is not as good before the pandemic. Um, you can look at some um, even uh, daycares, um, daycare crisis across the United States is um, when kids are born, um, a lot of the daycares can't find um, daycare assistance. Um, dental, when you go to dental office, you talk to a dentist, <laughs> there's a national shortage of dental assistance. So a lot of these jobs are are making around 55000 or less, Carl. So, so at 25, at the top there, with all these job, because you're saying there's job openings, yet some people say, no, they're laying people off. Then we have the immigration issue coming up. Will that solve the, the job? Uh, I guess, will that solve the problem or, or will it exacerbate it? Well, when you look at, you know, if you, immigration issue, when you look at the, the illegal 
key word, illegal immigration, that they're not talking about. Um, the key thing is illegal. Um, they can resolve some of the issues um, when it comes to um, restaurants or we don't need a skill. But when you come to a dental assistant or a school teacher or a daycare, um, you want somebody to actually understand the American culture and speak English. Um, that's assuming that um, I'm not assuming all of them don't speak English, but it's very hard to find um, certain immigrants to come in here to fulfill some of these jobs. Now, if they don't need to, you know, flip a burger or um, to do certain things, they don't have to understand our culture or our English language. Yeah, they can be a cook in the back of a restaurant or um, dry, dry cleaner or be at a cleaners. But when it comes to a set, a special skill set, um, you know, I know a lot of um, people who own medical practices. You can't just hire an immigrant to uh, fulfill those positions that they're missing out on. Well, what about the fact just the the, the uh, Latino community uh, by themselves? Will this will this help their economy? Because then they've got all these folks. They speak they speak Spanish, and and you know, just for just for example, for us in radio, you know, you've got a whole bunch of new people coming into town. Uh, they're going to want to listen. They're going to purchase goods, and they're going to be working. Will, will, will we see that side of the economy, their economy, continue to outgrow the black economy? Yes, because they're coming over here illegally. And when, when you have more people coming in illegally, yes, they're going to outgrow from a spending power. Yes, they will, because a lot of the, a lot of those illegal immigrants, remember, um, I'm not focused on immigrants. I'm focused on illegal immigrants when they're coming over. We have... Let me call say, let me say this, Carl. We have a process. I have a few friends in D.C. Um, that focus on illegal um, immigrants and um, the immigration, how to get people in here correctly. Um, when you actually speak to them, they would tell you that so many illegal immigrants are coming to this country that they can't help because it takes so many years. And we have um, enforcement law. Uh, they have to enforce the law as well as attorneys to make sure that everything is done proper. So by Congress or anybody in any administration signing a bill to let people in here for free, that's just for the major corporation. I had to set that tone first because it is not fair for people globally who want to come to the state to let certain people in here by signing a bill. We have immigration laws on the books already. So my current stance on that, we have to force the current laws and just let people come over here and sign a bill to let them get here for um, citizenship. So I don't want to go up that tangent, but that's very important for, for us to understand. Um, also, um, the one effect we have to consider, um, Generation X and the Millenniums are not having children like the baby boomers did. Um, your generation had multiple children. Generation X, uh, we're not having children, so that has an effect on the black community. And also, because of our higher education and skill set compared to the Hispanic community, we are taking um, higher paying jobs and we want more benefits. So we, we actually are more effective with layoffs compared to um, other communities. All right. Uh, 30 minutes at the top there. You mentioned uh, Gen Z and Gen X and these, these younger generations. I saw a report where many of them now uh, are less optimistic about the economy. Many of them have moved back home with their parents because they don't think the economy is on the, on the right track. They've cut, curtailed their spending while the baby boomers can continue to spend. What's, 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 what's going on with that picture? 
Well, the millennials are and Gen X are a little bit smarter than um, uh, the baby boomers when it comes to looking at everything from a global scale because we have information to make decisions. Um, when you look at the culture from the baby boomers from segregation, then they went into integration. Um, some economists and political science people, um, as you might have noticed, they would probably say that the mentality of not having things that went to integration, some people were like, hey, I got my corporate job in the 70s, 80s. I'm on my own. I'm going to move out to the neighborhoods and move out to the suburbs because I wanted a better lifestyle. Um, some of those people had a mentality, not all, I'm using the keywords, some. Um, we have seen studies that they said pretty much, I got mine, you get yours. And we lost our sense of community with that behavior. And even to some of the baby boomers would say these statements like, hey, I'm not going to save anything for the children. I'm going to buy and spend, go gambling, casino, um, shop, and I'm not going to leave anything for my children. That is a bad mentality to have. If you're having children and you need, if you know that you need or you're having children, you need to save um, some money for them so they can actually have money for your burial or your funeral and also investment. So you have to pass down, you know, uh, from a religious standpoint, they always say the grandparents put to leave money and assets to their um, grandchildren. But from the baby booms, we don't see that. And so a lot of people would say, let me move back home. Hopefully this house is paid off. Hopefully they're continue, continuing working. Hopefully they saved up enough money for the past several years because I can't afford to live here in America by myself. So a lot of people actually is going back home because hopefully their parents and grandparents who are Generation X and baby boomers have enough money and resources that they can move back home. And speaking about money, a tweet question for you. A tweeter wanted to know how much debt are black people in? I'll, let me just add to that. Uh, is our, our community in more debt than other groups? Yes. Um, looking at a black enterprise study, I don't have the year. I think it was around 2014 or 2017. Um, African-American men had a nat average net worth of 1100 and African-American women had a negative net worth of $600. That was the, um, the only group, a subcategory group, African-American women have a negative net worth. If you combine those two and look at it from a cultural standpoint, African-Americans had less net worth um, than Hispanics, Asian, and white America. And a lot of that is driven because we are paid less. And the second reason is um, a major um, push in retail therapy from African-American women. Um, African-American women spend more than any other subgroup, and they have more debt than any other subgroup. Wow, the sisters do. That's interesting. Did not know that. Are black women still outspending or out-earning black men as we speak? Um. It depends what report you look at. I would probably say naturally, overall, um, I still think African-American men um, is still out earning um, African-American women um, because we, we do have to take into account that a lot of the jobs that African-American women are, are taking in is the lower paying job like school teachers or social work. But if you combine all of them together, I, I have a reasonable belief that African-American men who are employed, not the one that are in, um, that's not working. The ones that are employed are still outpacing African-American women. 
All right, all that thought right there. 26 away from the top of the hour. We're going to take our first look at the news, traffic, and weather. We'll come back. We want to talk about four, fourth quarter stock market reports coming up. I want to get your thoughts on, on also what's going on with China, because we hear that China has some financial problems. And also in, in that context as well, what's that going to mean for the African countries where they've been, uh, they've been supporting these African countries economically? Folks, you want to join this conversation? Our guest, Donnell Parker, he's a banking and financial expert. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Our information is power. Good morning, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, the banking and financial expert, Donnell Parker. Before we go back to Donnell, let me just remind you, later this morning, we're going to hear from Dr. David Horn. He's going to reflect on how the GOP civil war impacts U.S. international and domestic policy. He's also going to address the voter apathy in the black community. That's been going on for a while. And later this week, you're going to hear from the dean of black journalist, uh, Dr. Barbara Reynolds. She's got a new book about artificial intelligence she wants to share with us. Also, the... Uh, Master teacher himself, Brother Ashwa Kwesi, will be here, along with futuristic researcher, Brother Sadiqa Bakari, and chemitologist Tony Browder. So they're all going to be here this week, so make sure that your radio is locked in to 1010 WOLB if you're in Baltimore, if you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. So, so Donnell, we're in the fourth quarter now. The reports that we're going to get from the stock market for these big uh, Fortune 500 companies, Will this reflect on, on the nation's GDP? Should we be concerned when we hear these numbers or is it, uh, you know, something that just, you know, just, just numbers? Your thoughts? Well, you're going to see a decline um, in the GDP um, this quarter and especially the fourth quarter. Um, what people are not talking about in the news is that no one is borrowing money. Uh, small business and these major corporations, they're not borrowing money anymore because of higher interest rates. Um, because of that, um, you're going to start seeing a lot of companies not growing, which is going to affect um, GDP. And also, you're going to see because of the layoffs, people are not paying their bills in a timely manner or buying as much goods. So a lot of the companies will miss earnings unless they change their earning estimate before the um, earnings report come out. So sometimes like they have uh, earnings for third quarter 2023. Then the CFO would tell the analyst, well, we're going to change our estimates just to meet, uh, meet earnings because sometimes they can project um, in October if they're going to meet or miss their earnings um, that they projected um, a quarter or two uh, previously. So sometimes they do change their um, earnings estimate, but I'm, I'm seeing a lot of com- companies going to miss their earnings coming up. And as employees, even if you're not in that sector, should you be concerned then? Because if they're not, if they don't meet their, meet their goals and you, you say they're not borrowing money not to expand, that means if they're not expanding, usually they're not standing still, they're cutting back. So it, will jobs be on the line? Many people should be concerned about that. Is that how the math yeah. works? Correct, yes. With, when you have no one borrowing, you have no one, nobody spending pretty much. So that's what's going on is that that is part of the inflection point too, that People should, I, ain't going, I don't like to use the word worry. I would say probably concern, because worry to me seems like more a stress word, that people should worry about it. People always should be concerned. As we know in our community, we always say you have plan A, B, and C. So if something, if plan A, if you lose your job, what is plan B and C? And you have to actually always put plan B and C in action. Even if you're working, you should always know where can you go next. Uh, for employment, what other industry 
can you make at least half or more or same amount of money that you're currently working on? Now, uh, 16 away from the top there, if that happens, will this put downward pressure on prices? Will we see a, a decline in, in gas and food prices, goods and services that go down as well? From an um, economy standpoint, from a macro, um, it should go down because less money in the market, less borrowing, they have to um, make money um, to, to um, break even. So they have to drive the prices to stimulate the economy and actually for um, sales as well. So it should um, decrease the prices on you know, gas and some other consumer products. But do you ever see prices going back down, though? Because if someone told me that the one thing that was going to happen, they'll never go back down to where they are. And the prices will never, they're always, they'll be able remain stable or go up. But do you, as a, looking at it as a banking and financial expert, do you ever see prices for, for goods, you know, whatever we buy at the, at the market, do you ever see them going back down, declining, though? Uh, because I recognize the fourth industrial revolution, um, probably around 2025 prices will start going down because of technology. When you go and go to fast food restaurants or when you go to self checkout at Walmart, Target, or any other stores, when you look at Amazon using robots, less than people, and you got these self-driving cars, um, a lot of things are going to be cheaper um, in the future. Um, I will start seeing a major change in 2025 to 2028. Um, when you get an Uber in 2027, 2028, it will be a self-driving car. And instead of paying $30 going to the airport, you might only pay $9. Because the technology is going to bring the prices cheaper because of that car is going to pay for its own car lease, insurance, and maintenance without paying a human being um, 70% of that car fare. So you can drop the prices from a $30 Uber ride down to $9. And a lot of people will not own cars in the future because it's going to be cheaper to take an Uber or Lyft than actually to own a car. And having said all that, a 14 away from the top, you had a chance to speak to some college students or some high school students who are considering whether they should go to college or not. What, would you, what, what sort of advice would you give them? Would you tell them to go along to college or, and study certain uh, majors, or would you tell them to forego college and, and, and try to obtain a skill? What, what would you tell them, Donnell? I would tell them a mixture of, of, of everything, Carl, because I don't know what their career field or what they want to do. I would say, first and foremost, do something that you're passionate about or do something that you love, because if you go and become a school teacher or um, you want to go to social work, you don't need to go to a four-year college. Um, it's probably better to go to a community college and graduate and get an associate degree, then get into the teacher field by passing certain tests or um, get into the school system and working your way up. If you want to go in technology, I would say don't get a four-year degree. Um, you can actually go and get a, um, some certificates or go to a corporation boot camp and start off low level immediately at the age of 18 or 19 and let them train you um, because you don't need a four-year degree to get in technology. As a matter of fact, um, there's certain individuals, because of this show, I helped out get certifications in cybersecurity, and they went from a job making like thirty-five to 55000 to a six-figure job. So there's, there's ways to make money. Um, if you want to go to a four-year college, sometimes think about going to a community college and save money on 
the first two years, then transferring your credits over to a four-year college, and you can easily save um, thousands of dollars by not going to a four-year college, which is more expensive than a community college your first two years. So it depends on their career field. And if they're going to a medical field, they should try to, again, do that same step, go to a two-year community college, go to a a good biology program, a medical program undergrad, so they can get into medical school in the future. All right, because you mentioned the fourth industrial revolution, and it's here right now. How can they take advantage of that? I'm talking about students now, young people. Well, the fourth, the fourth industrial revolution is heavy, heavy driven by technology and disrupting old ways that Generation X and baby boomers are used to doing things. So you have to find a process that is outdated or you can streamline something a lot faster. Um, we've seen it already. These projects are already doing uh, financial transactions through to five seconds. Um, self-driving cars is coming. They, if they can find a way to make something faster and more productive, um, they can raise capital or talk to a company and take their idea to them if they're trademarking and patenting. Um, they can actually sell that idea to a major corporation. Now, if they want to go to school, it's heavy driven by technology. So going to school for cybersecurity, uh, project management, or anything that has to do with um, coding and information technology from learning SAS, Hathian language, or um, Rust language, or Solidity, um, those are the hot areas. And Carl, I have to say this, the more technical a person is in, t- in technology, those jobs are paying one fifty to about $350,000. But if you go into the compliance side of cybersecurity, those jobs are paying between eighty five to maybe one fifty. So it's easier to get into the compliance side, but if you really want to make the one fifty to three fifty, you have to be a little bit more technical and go into the programming or any other technical aspects of cybersecurity. Now, those jobs, do they require a four-year degree? No, they do not. They require, so how does one get in? So there are certain boot camps. Um, there are certain training you can um, to go online and take these certifications. You have to study for them off the record. You don't have to go to school for it. Um, they have certain books that you can actually um, um, take and just self-study. And once you pass that test, they will hire you immediately and bring you on and they will train you on the job. So if any of your listeners have any questions, um, they can contact me and I can give you, give them some links so they can become um, certified in certain cybersecurity or project management. And they can do um, compliance or they can go into the technical side of cybersecurity and they can start their new career that way as well. So what, what do they need? What are the requirements, though, to get started? High school grad or, you know, some sort of job working? What is it? Or what are they? <laughs> Carl, they don't care if you have a high school degree no more. They care about if you can pass this certain test or multiple tests. And if you can pass these tests, these are tests are, are pretty technical. They're not difficult. They're just technical. And if you can pass the test, they don't care if you have a high school degree. If you can pass that test, they can hire you. When they hire you, actually, there's a one test I have to pull the documentation of. Um, if you pass, they will contact you because this organization will tell certain employers 
this person passed this um, project management uh, course, and they would like call you and give you an offer on the spot. So there's are actually certain j- corporations they will find out you passed this certain test and they will hire you without a college, high school to, uh, diploma. They don't care about that. They care about are you technical enough to be hired and, and are you trainable. Well, I, that begs the question here, eight away from the top. They are, are these standardized tests? You know, because a lot of time we talk about standardized tests. These tests are skewed for the other folks, not us. How do you see these tests, though? Are they fair? Well, um, I have to recognize from a... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. main standpoint, you know, um, we as African Americans think different as Asian, Hispanics, and um, our European counterparts. So whoever writes the test usually is European descent. And we've seen studies that um, how we think different, um, an ACT, SAT score. Um, that's one of the reasons that we have lower test scores. So these are standardized tests that mostly written by uh, maybe someone in India or a European descent. So we're not creating these tests. But again, if you recognize that early on from the ACT, SAT, you have to think like them. And when you study these tests, Carl, um, somebody, they give you the answer sometimes. So if you miss the answer, you go back and say, why this is not the best answer? I think this is the best answer. But they will say, this is the best answer. You have to study the patterns. Why do they think that way? And once you understand um, two or three, you might think the best answer. You have to understand why do they think this answer is better than the other two. Because they give you four options. So part of that is part of studying, which we should recognize that we think different from, you know, um, other cultures. And that's why they say America is diverse and other people should consider how other people think because we're not homogeneous in this country. All right. Six away from the top. We've got to step aside and get caught up on the uh, traffic and weather in the news in Baltimore. When we come back, Charles in Washington, D.C. has a question for you. Also, we want to talk about China and their influence, because I understand their economy is, is uh, going south as well. Folks, you want to join this conversation with Darnell? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Or information is power. Keep and good morning again, family. A minute after the top there with our guest is a banking and financial expert. His name is Donald Parker. You got questions about the banking financial situation or as we talked about the fourth industrial revolution, which is here right now, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We have Charles III calling us from Washington, D.C. He's online too. Good morning, Charles. Charles I, hope I can 
Yes, oh, this is go. Charles. Go ahead, hey, Charles. Hey, good morning, brother. Uh, I hope I can contribute to this conversation. Uh, I, I heard Darnell earlier mention uh, what he learned in college. And as he probably figured out, you know, what works in textbooks and theory uh, is in practice because of controls. But uh, I want to address two things, the banks and prices. And, and first, the biggest misconception out there is that the Federal Reserve is doing what's best for individuals, the economy per se. The Federal Reserve does what's best for banks. Okay, so when you raise interest rates, banks make more money at higher interest rates. Now, it does affect the loans in the smaller banks, and I think we have to watch where some of the regional banks are in trouble with their commercial loans, because that's what's really going to hurt the economy. As, uh, But basically, banks stopped doing lending two years ago. And so that's why, you, because of all of the vacancies there that are out there, they pull back on their lines of credit. And how this affects us as individuals is you start getting those layoffs because most businesses pay their payroll through their line of credit. So it's important to understand that, hey, the Federal Reserve, when Jerome Powell is speaking, he's talking about what is best for banks, not the individuals. So interest rates are going to keep going higher because that is to strengthen the banks that are going to be able to survive. So it's important that we remember that. Okay, and the second point I want to make, is about prices. I heard you guys talk about a price is going to go up. Okay, there are two things that contribute to prices. That's supply and demand. And historically, we're accustomed to demand driving prices, just driving price. Increased demand drives prices high. But what happened is you can also raise prices by cutting supply. That means you have fewer people supporting it, so that drives prices high. And this is why a lot of this has been manufactured. If you could remember when they wouldn't let those ships dock in California, they were messing with the supply chain. Now, this was done because of the issues with China. All of those are coming from China. And so the geopolitical side is what's messing with the economy right now. So they're cutting all of the uh, imports coming in from China, which is hurting the supply and driving the prices up. And so I'd ask our banking expert, why is it no one really focuses on the supply and how that is being handled and and what can the individuals do from that standpoint? All right, good question. Donnell? Good morning, Charles, and thank you for um, your question. And, you know, Carl, Charles is one of your most astute um, listeners that you have calling into the show. Um, one of the things that we can do is find out what products and services that they are making in China and third um, world countries and try to find ways to make it here in America and buy that product from an African-American business um, here so that we won't have supply shops in, in America. Um, we see a lot of African-American women who are making their own hair product lines now um, from growing hair, shampoos, soaps, 
and they're making enough money to stay um, to survive in this economy. Um, we see women are doing it a, a lot. Um, we can find a way to make T-shirts, shoes here in a competitive rate and sell them at maybe eighty dollars compared to you know one sixty. We can become more competitive globally. So we can find ways to make products and services here and buy products from African-American business. That's one way to offset the supply shortages that we don't have to depend on China, Nike, or um, any other consumer products, or even food. Um, we can grow our own food in our inner cities or even suburbs, like where he's at in uh, Bowie and Mitchellville. There's, you know, sometimes some, there's still land in, in uh, Prince George County going to Baltimore that is land that we can have group economics and grow our own food and sell to each other. And I recognize we do have black farmers in Maryland, but we need to support them more often. You know, one of the things you mentioned, or let's go into the geopolitical aspect of this. You mentioned China. That a lot of the, were the, the goods that were coming in were being blocked because they were coming from China. Was this a move to to bring down China to uh, sort of uh, not bring them down, but you know, put a crimp in their economic growth because they've been they've been you know their, their economy is being growing by leaps and bounds. And now we're hearing that they, they they're having problems in their economy. Was that the move? Did that cause that? No, I would say no, Carl. Um, I was in 2017. I was in San Francisco at the Fourth Industrial Revolution Conference and meeting with some key players. We have to recognize that the technology China is using came from San Francisco. It came from our companies. The goal of the IMF and the World Banking Association and the World Economic Forum is to pit China as a leader. That doesn't mean China is going to run things. Um, the corporation is going to move the power from the United States to China. China is going to look like they're running things, but the corporations are um, going to be running things. The international banks are going to run everything. If we have conflict with China, how is American Express, Kentucky Fried Chicken, McDonald's, other American companies and European countries are infiltrating China. And when you go there, it seems like there's a mixture, mixture of Asian um, corporations and American corporations. So we don't really have a true conflict with China. Um, it's more of the major corporations and the banks are pinning that facade up so they can infiltrate every country worldwide. You know, eight after the top. I don't know if you saw 60 Minutes last night because they were accusing the Chinese of stealing uh, proprietary information from uh, the United States and from uh, from the UK and Australia. They had the, all the, the head of the FBI and the intelligence units from these, uh, I think it's four different countries there. And they were talking about, you know, they considered China a pariah because they were just stealing all this information. On the other hand, now we hear reports that China has some problems because they, they started building it in real estate. They started building out homes across the, you know, hoping that people would buy these homes and, uh, and there's not enough people in China because they had this, uh, this birth control policy where they, you know, they could only have one child. So there's not enough young people there to, to buy these homes. So they, they've, they've got all these, these buildings and homes that are created and the economy is on the verge of collapse. Uh, if that is true, what does this mean for what China has been investing in, in uh, many, not just African nations, but uh, across the globe they've been investing? Is all that going to come to a halt? How do you see the, the future? Okay, so every country spy on each other. And if it's America, again, America 60 Minutes is saying that China's going to collapse. But why can't America tell us what 
which of the big banks is going to collapse. They didn't tell us IndyMac was going to collapse, but certain people knew IndyMac, IndyMac and um, other banks, Sherman Lehman, was going to collapse in 2008. So it's easy for us to point the finger at China, um, but the agenda needed to be talked about which of the banks here is going to collapse first. Certain key individuals in the banking industry know how they're going to bring down this, this country, how they're going to bring down the world global economy. So China also, um, their real estate, commercial, and residential can collapse, in which we would call that, that would be a liquidity issue in America. Any of the big banks that have any participation loans in China can cause the collapse in America. And when China um, commercial industry collapse or residential industry collapse, that loan or that loan over there, we, we, we call it ring fencing. Um, they won't pay back that loan, so the money would be kept in China, and the American bank would default on that, which can cause a systemic collapse in America. Because China, that bank or that entity in China won't pay back the loan in America, and that money would stay in China. That's called ring fencing. So that's a liquidity issue um, that can cause more banks to collapse in America. All right, 11 after the top. I was speaking about China. China and Russia leaders met recently. I'm sure you saw that. And, and they t- came out of that meeting, and she, Chinese uh, Premier Xi, is talking about the New World Order. What do they mean when they, because we keep hearing this term, uh, Darnell, what do what it mean economically when they talk about this New World Order? Well, the first part of New World Order, we started seeing the name coming out during the Reagan administration that Reagan, um, to my knowledge, was the first president I heard using the word New World Order. The New World Order is moving to a um, state that all of the countries would be linked together. Um, this is a global economy. As we noticed that the former CEO of GE said that back in the Reagan, uh, Reagan administration that um, we actually have more international employees than American employees. So these corporations are going globally and changing the government so that the major corporation can control the governments worldwide. So they're trying to get everyone on the same platform by using central bank digital currencies um, as a digital currency so they can control um, all of these entities and they can see all of the transactions that every corporation does in every country um, by using blockchain technology. So the first phase of it is to put us on a digital currency and a blockchain technology so that all of the corporations and countries are linked on the same platform. So where, uh, where are we as far as the digital dollar is concerned then? The digital dollar is already created. They just haven't, um, Congress haven't approved it. Um, the United States will be the last world power to use um, central bank digital currency. It would be the last global power to um, to actually approve it. The the digital dollar project was created back in 2019, and they already have the language used. Um, But this is going to be international law, um, that everyone's going to use it from FATF. Um, They already written a law. China has already approved it, and maybe a few other countries. So we're going to be last because that's part of the plan. The United States, is the citizens, is very difficult to change because of change management. And also, in order to uplift, you know, Cambodia, India, and China, um, the BRIC nations, we have to be last because the, the United States dollar won't be the most dominant currency on the new platform. 
All right, let's talk about that when we get back. We've got to take a quick break and check the traffic and weather. Also talk about the, the changes with this the digital platform when it comes out. Because we're still on the metric. We're, we're one of the few countries that are not on the metric system as well. If all of these changes are coming down, what will it mean for us, the average person listening to us right now, Darnell? What will it mean? It's just, uh, it's just shifting of money, of funds. Or will it be dip more difficult? If you can explain that, I'd really appreciate it. Folks, you want to join this conversation with Darnell, reach out to us at 800 450 78, 76, your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. 21 minutes after the top there with our guest, uh, banking and financial expert, Donald Parker. Donnell, before the break, told us that we're moving towards a digital platform. The digital dollars is already here. They just haven't in- enacted it yet. So my question to you again, uh, Darnell, what will, how will our lives change once we're, on, we're using this digital dollar? Carl, um, the, the lives will change because when you start shifting or transferring funds, it would be faster, cheaper, and more efficient. Using central bank digital currency will make retail payments um, more easier. Like, for example, when you go into a store, you can use your phone, you can use your fingerprint, your hand, your face, make payments. And when you make that payment, it will settle within three to five seconds compared to using a credit card or a um, check. A, A check might take, on average, 24 hours to 48 hours to settle. A credit card might take 30 seconds to a uh, day to settle. Uh, right now, with the new technologies using at some stores right now, you can settle within three to five seconds. So when you leave the store, that grocery store or that retail company will be paid before you uh, walk out the door. And that amount of money will left your account by the time that you leave the, the door. So it's going to be a lot faster and simpler um, in the future. Yeah, but will will the government know all your business though? Will will they know? Will somebody know how much money you have in the bank? Since you're saying that it's you know it's, it's almost instantly, who knows what, how much money you have that they'll know that you can cover the cost of this uh, item or that you're buying or goods and services that you you you're, you're paying for? Will they be able to sort of look into your account to make sure that you, the money's there? Well, yes, it's really not the government. It's more more the private corporations. Um, a, a, the key thing we need to focus on, the private corporations control the government. Um, so they are the individuals that created the government from day one. Um, so the interlocking relationship is that the information is not with the government, it's with the banks, which is private corporations. The government don't control the banks, the banks control the government. So when you make that transaction, the banks can see it, which is outside the government, and they rely on information back and forth with each other, and they can see the transaction. The government have to have a working relationship, an MOU, or subpoena the information from the banks to see the information. So we have to be more understanding of how the corporation work with the government and the government work with the corporation. I'm just concerned about the security issues as far as people being able to see how much money you have you know, the, the bank the, the, the i guess the bankers can see that already but since, since we're talking about the internet it, isn't that a wide open field to somebody hack into it and, and see how much money you have and, and move your funds around it, it, as, uh, the other countries that have, are on the digital platform have, have they taken care of they solved those issues yet 
Well, the security issue is not a major issue. Now, there will be a major cybersecurity issue that's going to happen within the next year because they have to make a cybersecurity issue on purpose to move everyone from the old system to the new system. That's one of the reasons that they're going to tell people the new system is better because the old system had um, some security issues. The new system is more difficult hacking into it. In fact, there's been study, a supercomputer um, is one of the only reasons that can hack into the new blockchain system. So the, we have to understand Generation X and Baby Boomers, this technology is coming, it's here, and we're moving to the platform without any anyone um, um, impeding it. So you have to find ways to start using this technology. And checks will still be around, but some stores is not going to set um, checks in the future. All right. It's 25 after the top. Now, most of the, the countries around the world are on the metric system. If When we move to the digital platform, are, are we going to be forced to be uh, to join the, the metric system as well? Yes. When the United States dollar is debased, we're going to move to the metric system. Um, everyone will be on the metric system on the same metric, so it's easy to do foreign exchange of currency, and everyone will be on the same um, platform, so it's easy to use. Um, not just central bank digital currency, they're going to call it also stable coins and um, also um, blockchain technology currency that robots use to make payments to uh, robots to use, like, for example, Uber or Lyft from a self-driving car or go to a cafe when a robot is making your coffee, not a human being. Uh, what about our brothers and sisters on the continent? Are, are they going to be able to keep up with these new changes, or are they ahead of us? They're going to be ahead of us because we're still using checks and credit cards. Um, emerging markets in Africa and across South America and other countries, they're going to use their hand and, and face immediately um, to make payments and do transactions. We're going to be tracked by biometrics through our hands and face, um, even if they have cell phones, they're going to have um, cell phones that they can be tracked. They don't, they're not using checks and other things as much as we do. There's so many people that's not on the banking system um, globally. Those people are going to move a lot faster than us. That's the only thing they're going to know. They're not going to, use, they're not going to know credit cards and checks. They're going to only know walking the store, they can pay by their face or hand or fingerprint and walk in and out of, of paying for um, retail consumer products. And yeah, but I'm sure you've heard the reports about f face recognition, and these were black folks that, that, that just just failed. You know, they, they uh, misidentified a couple of us uh, a few times. Is it because the system is set up for European face recognition? Do they have to work on that so they get all, all the other cultures on board? How do you see that, that, that those missteps? I see of everything, Carl. It's a new technology, so you're going to have missteps. Uh, facial recognition is not uh, perfect. Um, I know a few set of twins that when Facebook came out and they were posting pictures, they were posting saying that it was the other twin and not themselves. So when you have identical twins, and what they probably do is start that off, but they probably have a mixture of facial recognition and using your hand or finger, which is more of a biometric or your eyes to see that um, there is a difference between two people with the, with the same facial recognition or similar facial recognition. So uh, by tweaking it, they might have a two-factor authentication, which is going to be two factors of using your face and your hand or your hand and your eyes or something 
similar instead of just using one. And how far away from this are we right now as we speak? Well, China and a couple of countries in Asia and Africa are already using it in smaller and smaller pockets. I would say by 2026 to 2028, you're going to see it in America um, moving rapidly. And, and, and the situation that, that we see, like what's going on in the so-called Middle East and these talks of wars and rumors of wars, will that have any effect on the outlook of the move to the digital currency? No, not, not at all. All right. I, I want to ask you at uh, 30 minutes out of the top of the hour about the debt. You know, last time we asked you the question, if America was broke, you said you were broke. And, and you know, when you say America's broke, people don't think that America is you, you know, or us, I should say. We say America's broke, the country's broke. And we're writing checks left and right for Ukraine and now for Israel and uh, for, for the people in Palestine. And yet we're broke. So what did what did the, what did the administration doing? Just printing more money and and and, and explain to us when we say that the country's broke. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob two hundred milligrams at kisqali dot com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, anytime a country have a deficit in their budget, they're broke. Just like a consumer, when you make a certain amount of money, the end of the year you have credit card debt or hospital bills and you can't pay your bills, that's similar to a government that actually have um, money that comes in, but in the budget they either exceeded their budget or don't have the money to pay their budget. So it goes on um, their liabilities, as we see for the, the United States Department of Treasury shows, um, an increase of 25% of $1.7 trillion shortfall of, of last year. So um, the revenue um, came in a little bit short, close to, you know, uh, $457 billion. Um, a lot of that outlay um, of the shortfall because of revenue uh, from the IRS. And also, I believe that um, one of the things that improved the budget is, um, Biden asked for um, a certain amount of money for the student loans to be repaid, but the Supreme Court stepped in um, and said no. So at the end of the day, the budget is actually a, a, a little bit better than what expected because Biden didn't get the student loan um, 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 bill passed that he wanted. So again, um, more. So at the end of the day, more less revenue came in than more expenses went out, and that's why we had a deficit. Well, explain to the audience what can the what can the government realistically do to reduce the deficit? What you know, we keep we hear that they're going after Social Security, they're going after Medicaid, Medicare, and all these other social programs. Uh, cut back on on military spending. What can the government actually do, though, without without you know impairing the the lives of, of the American people? Well, 
the American lives of the American people will make a drastic hit because one of the things that's easy to do, it, okay, and it depends on how you look at the government, um, uh, the majority of Americans will feel like we spend too much money on government spending. So when you look at the general county office of, of the government, you can go look at the budget and go line by line. And why are we spending 50% of our tax base on defense? You know, who, who are we scared of? Who are we fighting? Who are, why, why are so many wars? So um, one thing that we can attack is um, the uh, Department of Defense budget. You know, um, so um, if you're working and you always work for 30 years, and you might say, hey, we can cut back on social programs because all this money we spend on social programs, is it helping the American people or is it hurting the American people? So some people view it would say, hey, let's cut back on these social programs. I worked for 30 years. I got my butt up every day, took a shower and went to work and came home. Why can't other people do it? So um, you have a theory of people would say, let's cut these social programs. So you, you have to look at the budget and make um, intelligent decisions to cut back. No matter how you cut back, it's going to have an effect on American people, especially jobs when you're talking about Department of Defense. From a social program, if you cut their social program, they will have to go out and find jobs as well. All right. We're coming up. We've got to take a short break again and, and check the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. Folks, you want to join this conversation with our guest, uh, he's a banking and financial expert, Donald Parker. We're talking about money, banking, and financial issues, talking about the high interest rates, liquidity, the fourth, fourth quarter stock reports are coming out. And, you know, people say, well, I don't have any stocks. Should, should we be concerned about that? These reports are coming out, all these the earnings of these big companies, should, should that be, be a concern of you? We're sitting there, and you don't have any stocks in, the, in, these, in these big companies, Donnell. When you come back, if you can explain that to us, I'd really appreciate it, because we're going to hear these reports coming out as we move through the last few weeks of, of the year. And people are going to say, well, I don't have stock in that. I don't have stock in that. Well, my 401k doesn't include that. So what do we do? So uh, explain that. If, if that involves us, or are we just uh, bystanders? Folks, you want to join this conversation, reach out to us. Somebody just tweeted, uh, Don Elder, we should raise taxes on the rich. I'll let you talk about that as well. We get back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. In the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, information is power. Good morning, family. 20 minutes away from the top there with our guest, Donnell Parker. Donnell is a banking and financial expert. We're talking about money. You want to join this conversation, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Before we go back to Donnell, I just want to remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with Dr. David Horn. He's going to discuss how the GOP civil war is impacting U.S. international domestic policy. He's also going to address the voter apathy in the black community and also what's going on with the African Union. What's, what's the latest with Haiti and Israel? They're trying to get observers seats at that unit. We'll see. We'll give us an update on that. And later this week, you're going to hear from the dean of black journalists. She's written a book. Her name is Dr. Barbara Reynolds. The book's about artificial intelligence. Also, the master teacher, Ashra Kwesi, will be here. And futuristic researcher, Brother Sadiqa Bikara, will join us. And also, chemitologist Tony Brown will stop by. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. You know, <laughs> Uh, Donnell, before we left the break, on a tweet, it says, you know, with the problem is that to balance the budget, that what they should do is raise taxes on the rich. And it seems it seems so simple, but there's all, all, a lot of pushback of that because the rich folks are the ones who are making these decisions. Your thoughts on that? 
Well, I think that's a talking point from the liberal left. Um, they keep saying to raise the tax code um, or raise the taxes on the rich. Um, we have to understand you can raise the tax on the rich, but the tax code provides so many loopholes that they don't have to pay taxes at all. So my main objective that the 80% of people who don't who live in check to check in America don't say raise the tax on the rich, change the tax code to a flat tax. No matter how much money someone makes, they will all pay the same percentage of taxes. That's the key point that we need to focus on, that everyone should pay a flat tax if you make, you know, like, for example, 35000 or more in America, you pay a, a flat tax of maybe 6%, no matter how rich you are or how much money you make. That would make everything more equal and equitable in this country. Raising the tax on rich is not effective because there are tax codes and tax laws that they can move money around and not pay taxes at all. Yeah, and the rich folks say if they raise taxes on them, then well, what they do is cut back on, on businesses and, and, and they'll lay off people and they cut back on their businesses, but they're not going to lose either way. Your thoughts? Yes, yeah, so our main focus we need to focus on um, the rich since the Reagan administration had 40, over 40 years um, making tax laws to benefit them. So we need to change the tax laws to a flat tax. All right. And that goes for most of us who, are, who probably consider ourselves middle class. But uh, the, the people, you know, growing up, you heard that the middle class was the engine that drove the American economy. And, and, and they say it's reflected every time there's an election come on. They always talk about kitchen table uh, issues. How can you pay more? What, why are you paying more for this? And why things are more, more expensive? And this is not a financial question. It's a geopolitical question or a political question for you. Do you think coming up in, with this election coming up next year, is that's going to be the focus, uh, Donnell, about folks are going to look at w- what goods and services cost them, what they used to pay for? And is it the, is it the current administration's problem that's causing this? Well, I have to take that on a financial, not a geopolitical response. Um, I'm not a geopolitical um, expert, but I can give geopolitical answer. But this really is, is a basic one-on-one finance. Um, because of the pandemic, it forces people to look at their finances and say, um, you know, how much money I have coming in, how much money that I have going out. And these conversations have been popular for the past two, two and a half years. So this is not going to be something new that um, either party can um, talk about. Um, American people are struggling. Eighty um, percent of us are living check to check. So they already have these discussions internally, individually, as, as a single individual paying rent or a household bills. They're looking at their credit card. They, they're probably trying to find ways to pay their mortgage rent, their um, their utility bills, all of their bills they have. They, they are stressed out about it. You know, uh, PTSD, anxiety is going up in America because of the pandemic. So this is nothing new. I think from a standpoint, American people who are living this way need to fight back against the corporations and say, hey, we got to find ways to make things better or create our own companies as a co-op and start supporting small business to make them biz- um, bigger compared to um, sponsoring the major corporations. 
and at 15 away from the top, how much does the what's going on with the oil prices? The Saudis and OPEC, they say they're going to cut back on on production, and when they cut back on production, the prices go up. And and when the price because everything's got to be trucked around or drived or flown, so that that increases the prices. The the the, the ripple effect goes to the consumer. He's got to pay more for goods and services. Do you think the American people understand that equation? Yes, I, I think they do, um, but. I think because they're stressed out on their lifestyle, um, they don't really discuss or talk about it. I mean, when they look at the gas prices when they go get gas or they walk by, they see that in June 2020, um, gas prices went up, you know, 59 percent. Um, but as September 2023, um, gas is not as high as it was in June 2022. So they see they're relaxing the gas prices. But I think they have more concerns about their everyday living than to focus on one thing about gas prices. They have multiple factors they're stressed out about um, than, than the gas prices. And speaking of, before I take a coffee, real quick on gas prices, the, the electric vehicles, uh, do you see that as an alternative? Is that going to help ease the crisis or is that going to exacerbate it? No, it's going to ease the crisis. Um, electric vehicles will... Um, force the gas prices to drop around 2026 to 2028, we're going to start seeing the gas prices drop because you're going to have less consumers. Tesla and other EV cars are growing rapidly. They're, they're making this worldwide. It's not United States only worldwide. They're making cars and they have a high demand for those products. In fact, Tesla just came out with a car that you can probably purchase around $35,000. So um, with that product, it's going to bring more buyers to the market. If people are going to decide, I'm going to go with an EV and start instead of buying a gas guzzling car, um, spending forty five thousand for a Mercedes Benz, I'm going to buy a Tesla for thirty five. All right, we'll keep an eye on that one. Thirteen away from the top of the hour. Charles in Baltimore has a question for you. He's online too. Good morning, Charles. Yes. Uh, how's everybody doing today? Great. How are you doing, Charles? Uh, I'm just doing. I'm doing fine. But um, I had a question I wanted to ask you because I know that America is foreign-owned and foreign-run and even foreign-inhabited. So where do our taxes go and how are they applied? Are they being sent overseas? Is that why Obama kept bringing those bags of money to Israel? All right. Thanks, Charles. Donnell. Thank you for the question. Um, when you look at who owns the, um, the United States government um, from a debt standpoint, you can look at it from an individual or a country standpoint. But even those countries, like when you look at Saudi or China, there are certain individual, wealthy individuals that really uh, make the decisions for China and Saudi. So, yes, um, when you look at the entity, yeah, we are indirectly, not directly, indirectly, owned by wealthy individuals and other combination of multiple countries that um, have influence on the general county office budget, how we spend our money. So when we do send money overseas, it's just not um, United States individuals making decisions behind closed doors. We call it um, the shadow government or we call it shadow banking. Again, key thing, the key word I'm using is shadow. You got to look up shadow banking and shadow government. Um, those individuals are behind closed doors. They're making decisions on where we spend our taxpayer dollars. 
while we are watching reality shows, smoking weed, or doing things that's not or uh, sports that's unproductive, we need to look at the general county um, office budget and see where the money is going. And the money should be going back to the American people and the infrastructure of America, and not overseas fighting wars and governments to influence to make the um, corporations a lot um, bigger and international corporations a lot bigger and stronger. So that's what we're not paying close attention to, that the money is going for um, other agenda and not for the American people who put money into the system. All right, 10 away from the top. Uh, briefly, you mentioned BRICS, and, and we just found out a few weeks ago that BRICS is, is expanding. We want more countries are joining this organization. What is what is the BRICS? What, what's their end game? What, what is it the people who are lining up and joining the BRICS nations? What do they want? Well, one of the things they want, Carl, is to see at the table. Um, you know about the G7 and G20. Um, those entities really don't have that much power in the G7 and G20 because a lot of those um, countries are United States or the European um, descent, and they control even the majority of vote. So um, China, um, Brazil, Russia, India, um, they probably had a sidebar conversation, and they – got tired of not making any headway in the United Nations, G7, and G20. So they created a entity to make sure that their voices heard more. So not use the United States dollar as their currency for trade. They start thinking about using other ways to make trade and not make the United States dollar more powerful. They just try to combat that by having more decision at the table at the G7 and G20. Is is the fight uh, political or financial then? It's always financial. Political is second. Who control the money, control the people, you control the politics, you control the people, you control everything by the creation of money. So you, whoever controls uh, the money supply of that country control the politics. Uh, who controls the money supply? You t we talk about the Federal Reserve. Who do they report to? Well, in reading... I don't have any empirical evidence. In reading, the central banks is controlled by the Bank of Malta in an international banking settlement out of Rome, Italy. So those are the ones, those, they are at the top of the food chain. They make the decisions for, for the Federal Reserve. Because, you know, with the name of the Federal Reserve, people think it's, it's part of the federal government. But I understand it's not part of the federal government. Can you explain that? Yes, the Federal Reserve was created in the early 1900s. It's a private corporation that was created in Jekyll Island in Georgia. Um, then in 1913, I believe, that Congress approved the Federal Reserve to have, the key word, delegating authority to um, do certain um, transactions or act on behalf of the government. Congress, from a constitutional standpoint, is authorized to... Um, create and uh, be the financial sign of the United States of America, but through delegating authority, um, Congress gave the Federal Reserve, the private corporation, the Federal Reserve, um, some jurisdiction to do that for them. So they they run this by themselves independently. That's what you're telling us. They can raise rates. They can decide whether we pay more for 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 loans and mortgages. Uh, by themselves without any input from the federal government, uh, from uh, the president of the United States? Well, the president of the United States should not have any input when it comes to the Federal Reserve. Only Congress should be the one to have input 
the president usually is not a economic um, have a have an economic background. So it's not the president; it's the Congress is the one that should be controlling uh, the su- money supply of America. So again, there is a working relationship. I'm not involved in all of the meetings or involved in what Congress relationship with Congress have with the uh, Federal Reserve, but I have seen instances the Federal Reserve have made actions um, by themselves without Congress authority. All right, well, that felt right there. We're going to take a quick break. Six minutes away from the top of the hour with Donald Parker. We're going to check the traffic and weather in our different cities. We'll be back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Good morning again, family. Minute after the top there with uh, Donnell Parker. Donnell is a banking and financial expert. Momentarily, we're speaking with Dr. David Horn. Be here, we're going to talk about politics with Dr. Horn. But Donnell, a follow-up question, because you said that uh, Congress has some some sort of oversight, some some sort of say about the Federal Reserve. If that premise is correct, maybe I'm wrong. If, let's say, the current state of Congress right now, dominated by one party and they want to make another party look bad, they can pressure uh, they can pressure the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates so that party will look bad for an upcoming election. Is, is, am I wrong in, in, in putting together that math? Yes, you're wrong, Carl. Um, no government is more powerful than a banker. The bankers run all governments worldwide. The government runs off of money. The person who controls the money supply in any country control the government. There is no two-party, three-party, five-party system. It's only one system. It's the bankers. The bankers run everything globally. So people need to realize that no matter on a national level, on a global level, the bankers run everything. So the bankers are not concerned about politics, and you're saying that they're not you know, tied to any particular party, whether it be in this country or any other country? Correct. The bankers, what they do is they find ways to control. They hire people, geopolitical analysts and conflict manage, management um, experts to manage um, the storyline to make it seem like there's a two or three or four party system. There's only one party system is to control the money supply, control the people worldwide, track, trace and tax everyone globally. That's the global agenda. From the bankers. Everything else is right. irrelevant. Three after the top of the hour. Before we go to Dr. Horn, Tony's calling from D.C. He's online, too. Tony, you're on with Darnell. Uh, good morning, Mr. Nelson and your guests. And glad to know you both doing well as I am. My question, based on what was presented earlier about how much debt this country is in, uh, as it relates to reparations in that environment, uh, whether it's monetary uh, compensation uh, for the descendants, or if it's some type of credit, what impact, or even more with that, what is the possibility of that even uh, happening? Uh, because some folks are in our community are looking at that like they're going to get a check. So I, I don't expect you to answer the question on reparation, but what would be the possibility? And I think it's important to dispel that happening if we're in that dire straits. And I think most of the majority population would rise up as to why, you know, a certain group of uh, people in this country have been taking care of them. Now. But let me shut up and uh, take your answer. Even you, Carl, if you want to weigh in or if you've got some uh, 
tweets. Uh, well, I'll t- uh, yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll leave that question for Dr. Horn. He's on hold. We'll ask him about reparation because he's an, a reparations advocate. But uh, Donnell, your response to Tony's question. Tony, thank you for the question. Um, I'm an advocate for reparations. Reparations mean repair. And I have a reasonable belief that that repair comes with a cash payment, real estate, and therapy um, from a psychological therapy. Um, all forms need to be recognized, just not in one form of cash payment. I think we focus too much on a cash payment. Um, other people get reparations and they receive cash payment. But on the background, we have multiple studies been done on reparations. And when even when Bob Johnson came out and said it, it would cost $16 trillion to uh, is the estimate for reparations, and the pushback was that that would bankrupt the government, that would bankrupt this country. But during the pandemic, as of today, we printed over $10 trillion in the past two years. So it only comes to the offset of just printing money or allocate money to descendants of slaves. We have the money because we can just print the money, which would devalue the dollar. But who cares? The obligation of working for 253 years and not getting paid is a disgenuous of not um, of of the country of not paying people who um, started the foundation of this country. So I'm an advocate of paying reparations to individuals that are descendants, not just because they're African Americans or they're from Africa. They have to have evidence they are from the family tree of descendants of Africa to get the 253 years of lost wages which equals to some estimates 1.2 million to 1.7 million individually. All right. And we'll pose that question to Dr. Holm. But before we go to Dr. Holm, Money Mike's calling from Baltimore. has a question for He's on line three. Good morning, Money Mike. Hey, good morning, Carl. Good morning, Dwayne. Is your name Dwayne? Darnell. Darnell. Darnell, uh, what's the chances of, of us going into a recession? I heard today that uh, in 30 years, uh, we've had more defaults in this country on auto loans than we've had in the last 30 years. So, uh, and how do you feel about uh, the unemployment rate? So I think the Fed's uh, Federal Reserve is going to keep interest rates steady and high for the foreseeable future. And I'll take your, uh, your answer offline. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thank you for the question, Mike. Um, I have a reasonable belief that we're already in a recession. Um, the There's a certain group in, in the government that decides by the number, the GDP, how they measure it, that if we are in a recession or not. I have a reasonable belief that we're in a recession um, and also have a reasonable belief that the Federal Reserve will raise the rates before second quarter 2024. 
So in the next three to four months, the Fed would raise the rates again. And again, that's going to cause a more of a downturn of the United States economy and the global economy, which will force us to go into my definition is a slight depression um, for 2024. So uh, just looking on that, back to my question again, is this is this of course, that's not going to be good for, for the Democrats or for Biden. Is this a political move or is this a financial move? Again, Carl, this is not politics. This is not nothing to do with politics. This is all about um, control of the people globally to track, tax, and trace everyone globally. This is more about controlling the American, not just American, but globe, everyone globally to put everyone on blockchain technology to track everyone. From a political standpoint, they don't care who's in office. Um, just like when you go back to the second debate of uh, former President Trump and Hillary Clinton, um, President Trump, I mean, former President Trump told us he met with a certain group of people and everything is okay. And you saw Clinton's face change. She knew she wasn't going to be the president. Um, Donald Trump was selected to be the president by the bankers, the global elite. This is done from a corporation standpoint. The corporations run all government entities worldwide. All right. We're going to check with that with Dr. Owen when we get on. Darnell, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us. How can folks reach you? They want more information, especially on the blockchain uh, technology. How can they get to you? They can reach me at area code 202-643-8301. Again, 202-643-8301. Thank you, Carl. All right. Thanks, Darnell. Thanks for all the information you shared with us this morning. All right, folks, that's uh, Donnell Parker. He's a banking and financial expert. Uh, good morning, Dr. David Horn. Welcome back to the program. Good morning, Carl, and good morning to your <laughs> great listeners. I know you heard some of the stuff that Donnell was talking about. Uh, first, uh, before we go to the reparations <laughs> issue, you mentioned the fact that the, the bankers uh, pick the, and I've heard this before, that the, the, the you know people talk about who picks the president, or not just the president of the United States, the president, the uh, prime ministers of, say, the UK, the chancellor in, in Germany. Who picks these people? He's uh, saying that the bankers, and I, I read that in, uh, what's it, uh, Dr. John Goldman's book. Committee of 300. Those are the people who really make the selections. Are your thoughts on that? Well, the I agree with the, um, the brother who came before me, uh, Donnell, that banking money, uh, uh, movements of money, uh, control of resources, that is a fundamental uh, power that does affect the entire world. Uh, I, I, I don't agree that um, uh, banking and politics are not connected because they are. One of, the, one of the things that we should all remember very clearly is that uh, Trump's coming into office uh, with other Republicans uh, in, uh, in Congress so that there was a, a – um, a Republican slant to the uh, House and to to the Senate got them a gigantic tax break. Banking money people don't like to pay a lot of taxes. They like to just simply have the money and not have to worry about paying the uh, the dues that you know that come with the money. Banking is always how do we get away with 
not having to pay for the money that we have. Everybody else has to pay us. So banking is criti- critically important, but to say that politics and uh, banking are tied to the point of uh, the, uh, the banking people, the banking uh, sources always dictate politics is not true. Politics is about who controls the distribution of the resources in a society. The uh, uh, For those of us who who remember uh, uh, Hidden Figures, you know, that movie, that was a, that was a scene in which uh, the um, – uh, the sister, the computer, um, um, not the computer technology, but the computer uh, operation sister had taken her sons to the library and she was looking for books and resources to get her um, up to speed on the on the new computer system coming in. And, uh, you know, the, the books, the so-called good books were only in the so-called white section of the library. And uh, she went, you know, she went over to that section and she took the books that she wanted and left with it. And when they were on the bus going back home, her, her son confronted her about, uh, "Well, Mom, how, how uh, you you took that book from the library? You stole you stole something from the library?" She said, "No, you got that wrong. My taxes pay for these damn books. Pa- pays for the library to even be built." I'm simply taking what's mine. I'm not haven't haven't stolen anything. These are you know these are uh, uh, what 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 I have to pay in order to live here. You know taxes on food, taxes on everything. Those taxes help pay for these books. Therefore, these books belong to me. Politics <laughs> is about is about who is in charge of distributing the resources. If you don't have a good school in your area to help train your youth, um, you know, that that's bad. You know, that that harms us. Somebody has made a decision not to have a school, a decent school, a school with good facilities, cafeteria, library, uh, sporting facilities, etc. You know, uh, books, decent books that actually teach you something. Somebody has made a decision about that. That's what that's how politics and the banking come together. The banking definitely is crucial all over the world. I agree with Donnell about that, but it's the politics who controls the distribution of the funding, who controls the distribution of the resources. That is critical, and that is where we do have, if not control, we have influence, and that's why we must always be political in the decisions that we make about our societies. All right, hold that thought right there, Dr. Horn. When we come back, though, because his projection is that uh, the economy is going to go south next year, election year, and that doesn't look good for the Democrats. I want to get your thoughts on that. 14 after the top of the hour, we've got to step aside and get caught up with the latest traffic and weather around different cities. We'll be back in four minutes, though, in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, Dr. David Horn. Dr. Horn is a reparations advocate, he's a pan-Africanist, and also he taught critical thinking 
at the college level. And that's why we like to have him on, because a lot of issues that we have requires critical thinking. Uh, Dr. Horn, before we left for the traffic and weather update, my question to you, because Donnell is projecting because of the, the economic climate right now, is that the economy is going to go for a downturn and, and they're going to increase uh, uh, interest rates. So it's going to be, you know, credit's going to be the squeeze on credit. And it's coming in, in election season. That's the question I was trying to ask him, if, if there was a connection and, and you as well between the, the politics and, and the, the, the banking and the money issue. And you both of you, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, if I'm wrong, just correct me, saying that there's no, it's, there's no, there's no connection. So you, this oh, doesn't... No, 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 I'm not, straight up, I'm not saying that. I'm not. Oh, saying okay. That. Oh, no, because no, no. They're, they're, they're the big connection. They're the big connection between um, the economic uh, situation in this country and any country, and who gets to be put into the political leadership. There's always a big connection. Again, the um, those who are the what we call the moneyed people. You know the banking uh, uh, industry folk, the you know big big companies, those interested in the uh, the capital part of the country don't like a lot of taxes. They they tend to want to avoid as many taxes as possible. If I got a hundred dollars, I don't want to have to pay you to get my hundred dollars out of the bank. I don't want to have to pay you five cents or ten cents or a dollar. So uh, those people, because they contribute so much to campaigns and because they have so much influence in terms of getting meetings with people, yes, they have a big influence in who gets elected. The, um, again, the, the moneyed people helped Donald Trump get elected. You know, they knew he was a crook. They've known he's been a crook for a long time. Man, is a, um, he, he's a... Typical, I got mine. I don't care anything about you You getting yours. In fact, I'm going to try to take yours, too. A flim-flam man kind of stuff. But he, they knew that if they could get him and a Republican Congress um, in office for a while, for two years or four years, they could quite possibly get what they always try to get, a reduction in taxes. And they got that gigantic tax break under Trump. That you know that is now expiring this week or next week. Those those taxes, that tax relief is moving away from banking people, and they want somebody else to be in charge who can give them again more tax relief. So now there is a connection between politics and uh, and uh, and money, politics and banking. All right, but, let but, me but, ask you this question but, though. But, but go ahead. But, but the Democrats don't have that to fear right now. Right now, the economy is is not going south. The economy is kind of uh, uh, in the middle of the road right now. The, the, the Federal Reserve may indeed raise interest rates again, since that's the only real power they have over the economy. They may indeed raise interest rates again, but that is not going to be a big sock in the jaw for most of us who do have a job or most of us who are making money. What is going to be much more important to people is whether they're going to have the right to strike like they are with in the auto industry and the 
hotel industry and the, the writers and the uh, film actors, et cetera, are we going to have a right to strike to correct our situation? Uh, y'all are going to be trying to put people in jail. Are we going to uh, uh, have to uh, not, you know, can, can, can we not find jobs so that we can uh, rebuild the infrastructure in this country? Carl, when you were growing up and probably when I was uh, growing up too, still a kid, real small kid, I remember the uh, see the USA and the Chevrolet, you know, kind of commercials trying to get people to get out on the new highway system and see the country spread, spread out your knowledge about the country. That's what politics does. Politics deals with those resources, deals with whether you got a harbor that works and whether you have people jobs, people working in the harbor at a decent rate uh, a wage. So now um, money and politics are definitely intertwined and will continue to be intertwined. Yes, money people always try to influence the politics, but uh, the Democrats are in a decent, real decent shape right now, mainly because the that particular party, the Republican Party, seems to be nuts. All right, let me ask you this. It's on my money and politics at 26 after the top. They are. Uh, Cornell West, he's being bankrolled by the same person who bankrolled uh, uh, Clarence Thomas. How are we supposed to read that now? Because put your critical thinking hat on. How do, how do we, what do we, how do we view that? How, or how should we view that? Um, we should view it in the same way that we view all politics and politicians. Fine. We hear why you want to be, why why you want to get this job, why you want us to give you this job and put you in charge of certain certain um, um, situations, certain money, certain distributions. We know why you want to get the job. Now, what are you going to do for us? What is going to be the the benefit in our putting our vote in to get you? a job for the, and we need to ask uh, um, um, everybody that, whether they're black, blue, purple, what are you going to do for my community? What are you going to do for the people that I represent? Are you just going to smile and go and, 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 and do some other interviews and say, look, I'm, I've, I'm successful. I've done well. That's not going to help me. I need to know what you're going to do for the community that I represent. And that's what politics is about. And that's what uh, the Democrats are on the right side of the right issues right now. White women are still pissed off about abortion. That has not gone away. It's, it's still going to be part of the 2024 election. Um, the we still the country still needs to be retooled. We got to get a whole lot of you know highway systems, bridge systems, infrastructure. Decisions have to be made about rebuilding infrastructure. Or the country basically falls apart. Uh, you know, the banking people are not going to say spend money on building a new bridge if they can avoid that. Somebody in the political sector has to do that. So politics is about making decisions about how the resources will be uh, spent, will will be will be protected, will be rebuilt, et cetera. And the Democrats right now on the right side of getting the resources straight that we need to have. We need to have fresh water all over the country. We need to not have uh, microbes in 
in in in drinking water. You know, we need to be able to feel that we are in a safe country. That means somebody has to be in charge to make decisions about the distribution of the resources that will keep it, keep things safe. Yeah, on the other hand, and uh, 30 minutes at the top there, neither party is talking about reparations. Is Should no. we use no. that as a litmus test, or should we sit this the reparations issue out for, for this election? How do you see it, Dr. Horn? Um, the uh hr 40 our 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 favorite congressional um legislation that we've been trying to get through congress through the house of representatives since the 1980s uh is not going to see the light of day in that part of the government until they the democratic house of representatives hr 40 can get passed when the Democrats are in charge of the House of Representatives again. Getting passed in the Senate, I don't know. We'll see. But the the issue is in the entire reparation struggle in, in our in our efforts to move forward, one of the things that still has not been clearly defined is exactly who we are demanding reparations from is most of our effort only getting the government to respond, to pay, to deal with whatever uh, um, repair that we are demanding. Is it only the federal government? Is it only the state government? What? Who are we aiming that at? That at? The Democrats in charge will minimally uh, uh, set up this uh, executive commission. They will set up a national commission on reparations and and look at whatever results come out of that. The Democrats will do that. The Republicans are not even going to think about it. So that, you know, that so for some people that's not enough, you know, to get a a uh, a commission set up, an executive commission set up by the president. Some people want more than that. And that's fine. We should want more, but again, it is on us to decide exactly who we are going to focus on and what part of the political apparatus we're going to attack and keep attacking until we get what we need out of it. We still have not gotten that straight yet. We still are thinking about, well, maybe we should attack the Catholic Church since they made so much money out of out of uh, uh, slavery, and they, the Catholic Church itself gave the authorization to even start the slave trade. The uh, the Jesuits, you know, Georgetown made all that money from owning slaves, et cetera, et cetera. So are we going to just attack the Catholic Church to get some kind of recompense? Are we going to deal with private people like insurance companies and banking uh, folks that we've already dealt with earlier? Who are we aiming our powder at? We have not been consistent. And that's part of our problem. If you cannot aim your weaponry at the target that you intend to hit, you can't win. And hold that thought right there, because we've got to take a quick break and check the traffic and weather in our different cities and uh, get caught up on, on the news as well here in Washington, D.C. area. But when we come back, though, is that by design or by accident why we're so scattered when it comes to deciding what, who and what and where we want for reparations? I'll let you answer that it's question. Both. Also, we want to talk it's about both. the African Union. 
as well. All right, Dr. David Horn is our guest. Folks, you'd like to reach him, hit us up at 800-450-7876, at 26 away from the top. I'll be back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Information is power. And good morning again, family. 20 minutes away from the top there with our guest, there, Dr. David Horn. Dr. Horn is a Pan-African advocate. He's also a reparations advocate. And he's, he also taught critical thinking in, at the college level. That's why we love to have him on because, as I mentioned, many of our issues require these days criti- critical thinking. we get to that in a moment. Before we go back to Dr. Horn, let me just remind you, coming up in the next few days, you're going to hear from uh, the dean of black journalists, uh, Dr. Barbara Reynolds. She's written a book about AI, artificial intelligence. Also, the master teacher, Ashwa Kwesi, will be here, along with futuristic researcher Brother Siddiqui Bakari and chematologist Tony Browder. So if you are in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight right here on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, run FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. I want to switch up on you and ask you about critical thinking, though, uh, what's going on in the so-called Middle East. Because on one side, uh, Dr. Hall, we have the Israelis, and we know how they rolled when it came to apartheid, they were, uh, 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 what they try to do with Nelson Mandela and, and block Nelson Mandela. And then the other hand, you have the Arabs, the Palestinians, and we know what they've been doing to us as black people, especially in Egypt, and they're trying to block now our black scholars from teaching that, that our ancestors, the original inhabitants of that uh, part of the world, Northeast Africa, were black. So where do we fl- fall on this? How do, how do we compute what's going on here? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We have to look at the world in the same way they look at the world. What's in our best interest? The um, part of what's going on in the Israeli-Gaza conflict. Um, A number of folk on the Gaza side see see Israel and those who run Israel as trying to establish a colonial relationship with with the Palestinians. You know, the Palestinians say they were there first, they've always been there, and uh, the Israelis say, no, our people have been here for a, a thousand thousand years too we just came back the issue is however who actually controls the resources in the area are the are the palestinians being um um are people getting out of the way so the palestinians can develop their own communities and develop their own resources or is land being taken from them illegally is land being taken from them by other folks to make other folks happy? Again, you got the issue of resources. Who controls and who redistributes the resources in the area? Um, there are folk who support 
you know, the Israeli position that, you know, we, that uh, Jews have been harmed. They've been harmed in history. They, they're being harmed now. So they have to retaliate. They have to punish those who are trying to harm them. But then again, there are those who say, no, 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 no. The Palestinians have not harmed you. They were here. They want their land. They want to develop uh, their own resources. You basically have brought in this element that you want to control that area. You want to develop that land for yourself. And so you have settlers moving into that land, taking it, and then having the uh, Israeli courts support the settlers taking Palestinian land. You know, basically you are colonizing us. So you have this problem of who's going to be in charge of the resources. And it's not our fight. You know, they, that, that's, another per, that's another group fighting, and we should not jump in the middle of it trying to say that we know who's right and who's wrong. It's not our fight. You know what, Dr. Horn, uh, Dave Chappelle tried to say that at his last show. People walked out and booed, and, and now there's a move to try to cancel uh, Dave Chappelle because he said two wrongs basically don't make a right. That's what he was trying to say. But it seems exactly if you critique you one side, you, 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 get, you get slammed, and this is what's going on. What is happening here? And how do it, as, as a critical thinking a scholar, how do how do we how do we thread the needle, or should we, or should we just like Dave Chappelle speak the truth, and if they want to cancel us, let them go ahead? How do you see? What's our move? And and, and Carl, that's a very very good question. How do we thread the needle, and should we try to thread the needle? Um, Dave Chappelle answers the question by, "Hey, if y'all bring it to me, you gonna get a response. I'm not going to introduce it, but I'm not gonna back away from it." He did the same thing with the. Um, uh, LGBT community issue. You know, y'all brought this to me and I've given y'all my point of view about it. Y'all might not like it, but that's my point. You don't want my point, don't ask me. The um, the fight between uh, Israel and and Palestine is not our fight. And unless somebody directly asks us, we need to stay the hell out of it. We got enough of our own fights to deal with. It's not an issue of resources to us. It's not an issue of uh, Africa being colonized to us. This is an issue that's really important for the combatants, but this is not our fight, and we have to understand that. Our best, our best position is to be on the outside watching to try to make sure things are as fair as they can be if we have any any uh, influence in that. Otherwise, stay the hell out of it. Right. And we're seeing that basically from the African states that they basically have been sat on the sidelines and they haven't come out either way. Even even with all the history that's behind uh, in this situation, they have, they're sitting it out. But speaking about Africa, the African Union, what is the latest? Because we heard that Haiti wanted a seat at the table. Israel had uh, some input as well. What's the latest on those two uh, countries joining the African Union? And what about us as, as the diaspora? Okay, you that's a complicated question, but let me see if you can ask, ask, I handle that. Number one, Israel had asked for um, the status of um, official observer at African Union meetings under the old Organization of African Unity. 
uh, that had helped uh, African countries uh, achieve independence. And then it uh, dissolved into the African Union. Um, Israel had been an official observer to a bunch of OAU meetings. They were allowed to come in, see what was happening. They couldn't vote, but they could participate by being there, by being told when the meetings would occur and showing up. They wanted the same kind of um, status in the African Union, in the new African Union, the one that was set up, you know, 2001, 2002, 2003. This is, this is the uh, international organization of African states coming together to control their resources that come into their own communities. Anyway, the um, director of uh, the African Union Everyday Affairs, what, you, what we call the, the, um, the head of the secretary, the African Union secretary, um, gave Israel official recognition as uh, a an observer so that Israel could attend all African Union meetings. Uh, the African Union leadership, however, called the Assembly, which is the group of heads of state that meet to actually decide on the direction and the and the uh, what the African Union would do about any particular situation. That group said our contraire. You don't have the authority to give that to uh, to Israel. And so they rescinded that authority. Israel is not an official representative, is not an official observer to the African Union, and is not allowed to come to African Union meetings. And that was great. Uh, but that's the decision that's been made. Now, in terms of the African Union itself, what is it working on? Going back to 1991, the under the old Organization of African Unity, they had a gigantic meeting called the African Economic, uh, ended up calling it the African Economic Community. They decided among themselves, most of the uh, politically independent African nations, that the biggest problem that Africa had, besides too many white people still being there, the colonialists did not want to go home. Besides that, Africa did not control its own resources, did not control enough of its own waters, its own fish, its own oil, its own rare earth elements. Essentially, everybody else had their hands in the till, and Africans themselves are not benefiting from their own resources. So they had to find a way of collectively organizing control of their own resources, and that became known as the African Economic Community, the Abuja Treaty. That Abuja Treaty led to the creation of uh, African um, RECs or regional economic communities, so that we, we divided the continent into eight areas in which African countries in those areas would coalesce to make decisions about waterways, um, you know, food, agriculture, um, et cetera, that the uh, East African community, you know, which is one regional economic community, would, would decide on the best way for Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, um, Zambia to 
make inroads into the population getting proper food, clothing, medicines, education, etc. But that in those areas, those countries would make the decisions and not, not have the West African countries, Niger, um, uh, Sierra Leone, Nigeria, Ghana, not have the West African countries decide for East Africa what East Africa should be doing. Anyway, in creating those eight regional economic communities, Carl, in 2003, the African Union also created a regional economic community called the African Diaspora. In other words, we are going to recognize Africans who don't live on the continent. You are still a part of us, even though you don't actually live on the continent right now. Your ancestors were taken away from here, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we want you to understand that you need to organize yourselves to participate in this rebuilding of Africa, this African economic political experiment. We need you to recognize that you are part of this and you need to show that you are interested. And that's where we are. We are trying to create areas in on the continent right now so that folk who do identify themselves as African, as African folk, as Afro-diasporans, Afro-descendants, whether they're in Central America, Latin America, South America, North America, the Caribbean, et cetera. Wherever you are, if you identify yourself as, as being African and you are concerned about the rebuilding of African control of African resources, then you need to be doing something about that. And by the way, Carl, in 2024, July, there'll be the biggest um, um, Pan-African Congress gathering that we've had since, uh, I guess, 1994. Actually, since 1974, when we went to Tanzania. But there will be a gigantic... Actually, well, hold, on, hold on, Thor, right there, Doc, because we got to take a quick break. And I want to hear more about this meeting. And uh, we've got some folks who want to talk to you. I've got a tweet question for you, a tweet comment as well. Folks, our guest is Dr. David Horn. He, he's a Pan-Africanist. He's an advocate for reparations. And as I mentioned, he taught critical thinking and, at the college level. And that's why we have him on a lot, because many of our issues these days require us to be critical thinkers. You want to join this yes. conversation with Dr. Horn? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. we got to get caught up on the traffic and weather in our different cities in the news in Baltimore at six away from the top of the album. We'll be back in four. Four minutes, though, right here with Dr. Horn on 1010 WOLB in Baltimore and in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. Minute after the top there with our guest, Dr. David Horn. As I mentioned, Dr. Horn is a Pan-Africanist, an advocate for reparations, and he taught critical thinking at the college level in California. Uh, that's why we need him to help us decipher some of these complex problems that face us as a people. Before we left for the break, though, uh, Dr. Horn, you were telling us about an uh, AU-African Union meeting next July. Can you expand on that for us? Yes, it won't be an African Union meeting. This is a, a meeting 
um, organized by uh, some of the same people who organized uh, the six pack, the seven pack. Um, the what we are talking about doing is bringing together African youth who have an idea of the future that they want to see, and they need to uh, uh, discuss together about how to get that future to come into being. We are talking about those who consider themselves the intellectuals of the Pan-African movement. Fine. It's time to get together and agree on some principles and agree on some ways forward. We are talking about uh, the intellect, some people who who uh, do the writing. We are talking about the action people, some people who want to take over in terms of the political authority in their own countries so the countries can move forward. We're talking about bringing all of those forces together and to have not only presentations but some agreement on some ways forward. For example, Carl, there's um, uh, an issue about some folk in the you know, in the uh, African diaspora, and I'm, I'm about to stop using that term, but some folk in the um, world who call themselves Afro-descendants uh, or Afro-ascendants, as a friend of mine likes to say, see that they want to have some opportunities to actually move back to the continent when they want to go. They want to move back. They want to be able to have access to buying land, to getting houses, you know, but they want to be with black folk and not have to worry about the police shooting shooting them in the back and that kind of thing. Part of the issue, however, is that out of the 54 African countries, most of them don't have right now a um, a successful system of people leaving here and moving there and having citizenship access, having legal status, having legal status in the international community is it's crucial. You don't want to be to the airport and nobody comes to pick you up. You don't want to be to the airport and all of a sudden find out your paperwork is not proper. You shouldn't be in the, in the country and you can't leave the country. You're just kind of stuck. You don't want that to happen. So what, what, is at issue is dual citizenship. Can you basically keep your American passport, your your French passport, your English passport, and you know with access to your, the services of citizens, and also get a Ghanaian passport, a Kenyan, a Tanzanian, a South African passport, so that you can also you know be a citizen in those areas too. Buy land, you know have you know, educational opportunities, that kind of thing. So one of the issues is that right now, out of the 54 countries, only eight African countries actually allow uh, a relatively easy way of getting dual citizenship, you know, for those uh, African-Americans and Afro-descendants who want to go back. We have to, we need to have to expand that. The You know, all 54 countries need to have that kind of access for those who want to take advantage of it. That too will be discussed and hopefully agreed upon. Um, a process will be agreed agreed upon at the um, at the conference in 
2024 in Uganda. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. Five after the top there. Basically for our Baltimore listeners and those folks who have been following this story, because we had the the attorney on this sentencing. is just started for the so-called squeezy kid. He's, he was convicted of on, I mean, uh, voluntary manslaughter. You remember the story? It was, uh, he was working at a corner in, in Baltimore, and and uh, an assailant came after him with a, a baseball bat, and the kid shot, supposedly shot him, and 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 they anyway they convicted of voluntary manslaughter. He's looking at 35 years, so we'll keep an eye on that because the, the hearings just started in Baltimore. But uh, speaking of Baltimore, before we go to Brother Sekou, though, uh, Dr. Horn, a tweeted tweeted this. It, it said, uh, Dr. Horn, right on. Black people need to stay out of this Israel situation because none of them have helped black people do nothing. I'm just reading the quote here. <laughs> this is for you, Dr. Horn. <laughs> uh, I understand the point. Uh, and and that's, uh, that's a very good point to consider. Right. <laughs> neither, nice brother neither has helped us. So why are we, why are we getting out? Sticking our 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 finger in somebody else's pack. That's right, uh, brother Sekou. As I mentioned, is holding for us. He's got a question for you or a comment? He's co- he's in Baltimore. He's on line one. Brother Sekou, good morning. You're on with Doctor Horn. Good morning. Hey, brother, how you good doing? Morning. I'm all right. Hey, listen. I know you know that Doctor John Henry Clark. Absolutely. He said it years ago. He said it years ago that. We're Africans, we have no friends in the world, and we have to save ourselves. That that situation in Northeast Africa is between two groups of whites, Arabs and, and, and uh, Europeans, fighting over land that does not belong to either one of them. And okay. that we need, to, we need to stay out of that fight. It's not our fight, just like you said. He said, that's not our fight. We don't have a dog in that fight. All right. We don't. And he said that he defined Pan-Africanism as the unification of African people wherever we are in the world to protect our humanity. And when the world exactly. respects our humanity, we in turn will respect the humanity of the rest of the world people. Because go, we gave humanity to the world. Do you That's agree right. with Dr. Clark? Yes, I do. I am a student of Dr. Clark's and while I would not say I agree with 100% of all that he said, I don't agree with 100% of what anybody said. I definitely agree with everything that you just um, um, rendered that came from Dr. Clark. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I got one question before I go. Okay. Why is it that people don't debate the relevance of capitalism as an economic system? Are we falling into the trap of imitating our Europeans by trying to duplicate the, the capitalistic economic system? And I'm gone, so I can listen. 
<laughs> okay. You, you, uh, the question you ask is a lot bigger than uh, the radio show we have this morning. I, I will give a small answer, but I'm telling you now, the, the small answer I'm going to give will be inadequate to the largeness of the question that you ask. Um, capitalism was not invented by white folks, although they did take what was already there and um, finagle it to be able to accomplish what they wanted. That is, seize the land wherever the land is. No matter who is on the land, if you want it, take it. Seize the resources on that land. Set up devices, set up affairs, set up organized attempts to control the resources on that land so that you can benefit your own folk. You can benefit different generations of your own folk. You stay in control by owning the land and owning the resources on the land and making sure you set up operations to keep in charge those who look like you, those who respect you, those who want to be you. Capitalism is is simply the control of resources by individuals and small parties. It's like looking out into a big forest. The forest was there before you happened to see it before you happen to pay attention to it or recognize it. The forest had been growing and 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 operating on its own. You decide, hmm, you can use that forest. You can chop up the trees. You can build houses. You can build structures. You can use that forest as much as you wanted to use the forest. And so you just took it. Now, when you got there to take it, there were other people already living in the forest and other animals. You kill the animals and you put the people in jail or you kill them or you made them work for you to do what you wanted in the forest or with the forest. Now, you if you had to uh, harm those people, treat them badly in order to get them to understand that you are now in charge, then you did that. Your aim was to get the resources, to use the resources the way you wanted to use them to perpetuate yourself and your own offspring. That's capitalism. Capitalism is simply the individual ownership of the means of production, as opposed to that being group ownership of the means of production. The uh, brother who was on before I came on talking about banking, talking about, uh, you know, it's the bankers, it's the, the money people who control the world. He was talking about the money people controlling the resources, controlling what we use to make what we think we have to have. Um, capitalism can be a friend, but it even even when it's a friend, it's a prickly friend. It, it has not yet been a sufficient friend for African people on this planet. White people have found a way of being able to control the resources 
and thereby control people who are part of those resources. And that is that that is a continuation of where we are, and that's going to continue even when we move to a higher level because African folk need to also control the resources in their own communities. That is either going to be handled so that individuals control the resources and what happens to the resources, or there is a group, the people, uh, controlling that. When Julius Nadere no, hold, hold that story right there, Doc, because we're going to take a short break. and I, I let you talk about uh, uh, Julius Nenari when we come back. But also, explain to us, it, does capitalism work for us, for black people? Does, is, is it a working model that we should uh, uh, wrap our arms around? Or should we be suspicious? Or is it just working for other folks or, or exploiting us? That's why we want you here this morning, because you're a critical thinker. Break it down for us, really, about capitalism. But we've got to take a short break and how it in L.A. or how it in, is now in Alabama. I've got a question for you. But we, as I mentioned, we've got to check the traffic and weather now. Differences at 14 after the top of the hour. But we'll be back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, Dr. David Horn. As I mentioned, Dr. Horn is a Pan-African advocate. He's also a reparations advocate. And as I told you earlier, that he, he taught critical thinking at the college level. And that's uh, as many of our problems that have is so complex that we need folks who are adept in critical thinking to help us out. Before we left, though, before we talk about whether, uh, uh, you know, d- uh, communism or or democracy works for us. Dr. Horn, yeah, you were about to tell us about Julius, yeah, Dr. Julius yeah. Nairi from Tanzania. Yeah, I was only about to say that uh, Walimu had decided to uh, implement socialist policies in, uh, in Tanzania early in his administration. Um, the Ujamaa Villagization Project, it was called. And uh, it did not work out well. It did not work out well. The uh, And there are a lot of reasons why. Some people say it did not work out well because socialism does not work in Africa. Other people say it did not work well because you had the wrong people trying to implement it. But uh, here's where I will end up on this. In fact, I was trying to get to my last statement just before we went to commercial. In in terms of me answering the brother's question, which is better, capitalism or socialism, um, you have to ask the logical questions. Do I need to control the resources that me and my offspring need? Do I always have to be in charge of the resources? Or is the question, how do I make sure that I can get access to the resources that my people and I need to move forward? How you answer the question will determine whether 
using capitalism or socialism or or any other kind of arrangement will work. It's all about resources and all about having access to the resources when you need them, not just when you want them, but when you need them. So you have to lay out the questions, the logical questions, and the answer to those questions will determine for you which one is better. When Kwame Nkrumah tried to uh, implement elements of socialism in Ghana, did not work. When Walimu uh, tried to do it in Tanzania, did not work. Did not work for a number of reasons, but both times when we have tried to implement um, um, socialist policies, control of resources for a larger group of people and keep the banking out, they have not worked, not well. All right. 24 after the top hour. Folks, I want to speak with you, Dr. Horn. Let's go to line two. Howard's uh, from L.A. He's, I think he's in Alabama, Birmingham. Good morning, Howard. Good morning, Carl. I got a lot on my mind. I, I'm down in Birmingham. It's very spiritual for me. This is my mother's hometown. I got a lot of those down here. I feel, as a matter of fact, I spent the first four years of my life in Birmingham, back in between here and Chicago. But uh, I have a bunch of stuff. Dr. Horn, I need to get with you just to have a cup of coffee one day. Okay. It's not like a winner. Hey, uh, but anyway, a lot of stuff's on my mind. First of all, I want to say California getting screwed when it comes to gas prices. I've been hooping and hollering about gas since <laughs> I left LA. I'm we serious, in, man. In Chicago, huh? We're we not in charge. Like, we, we're not. We're not in charge of oil. Oh, okay. That answers the question because we definitely get screwed here. Well, in the California, in Chicago, they're paying like three. No, 429. My cousins live on the south side of Chicago. They go to Indiana and give like these 30, 40 percent. Huh? Be paying $6 a gallon. Yeah, out there, yeah. And then I come down to Alabama. Shell is, I saw a Shell station around there at 299. You know, right. so. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm screaming about. That. And people say, well, shut up, shut up. Man, you just don't know what we're doing out there. But, um, a couple of questions real quick, Dr. Horn. I said I'd like to have a cup of coffee with you or maybe we hook up. I've seen you around town. Um, were you, uh, just quickly, were you at the um, meeting in Lamar Park when the Panthers and the uh, organization uh, buried the hatchet? I remember Carl said he was there. Were you there that day? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, let's see another question. Dang. Oh, well, I really want, to come, want you to come in about I did the gas thing. Uh, uh, you remember, we're going back in history, because uh, I've been checking out Israel for a long time, and they're and they they're not our friends. They're not our friends. And every time you say something negative or something they don't like, they go they get all their communications network together to, you know, put all the negative things about who, who made those comments about them. What I wanted to know, you remember in 67, during the Johnson administration, I, I can't think of that Navy ship. It was like a reconnaissance ship or uh, spy ship, they were uh, commandeered by the Israeli Navy, and sincerely got killed on that ship, and Johnson administration didn't do nothing about it. Right. And, uh, oh, you remember that? And, and they were, yeah. and another, another thing, that was a deep thing, too. That was before the one, uh, when the, what's, and that Korean thing, that ship, the Korean, uh, I can't think of it. I can't think of it, but it was a, a ship, a Navy vessel, the same kind of spy ship, over near Korea, and they got 
capturing the stuff and somebody got the crew back, but nobody got killed, um, as I recall, on that. But um, another thing I want to comment on, I mean, McCall had a lady on that was from the African organization and stuff, and, and she brought the fact that Israel was trying trying to get on that, uh, get, uh, have observer status on that organization. And that pissed me off. I said, well, we got to have people on the organization. Remember Malcolm said, keep them people out your meetings? They didn't listen to Malcolm? You can keep them people out your meetings. And Howard, I'm going to let you go because you put a lot on Dr. Horn's uh, plate. I don't want to give him a chance to to, to chew <laughs> yeah, on some of the stuff you mentioned. Hey, hey, Thanks, Howard. And and listen, we are going to get we are going we are going to sit down and have that cup of coffee. It comes down to to one principle. Israel is doing whatever it thinks it needs to do based on its political leadership to exist and to exist with power. You know, in other words, they want to make sure that they control enough of the resources to benefit their own population. They have any other population. They are focused on their population. Black folk do not always focus enough on what do we need to do to make sure our population uh, survives and thrives. People who are in charge understand that principle. We need to get back to what do we need and how do we get it and how do we keep it. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, 28 after the top there. Uh, Kevin, producer Kevin's got a question for you. Kevin, good morning. You're on with Dr. Horn. Good morning. How you feeling? Hey, brother. How you doing? Excellent, Dr. Horn. Um, I know that you've got two new books out, and uh, it's what <laughs> Acknowledging Radical History and I Dare Say. And you've got the book signing coming up. I didn't want you to go without reminding us that uh, Friday you're going to be at the Art Center of Montgomery College right here let in me, downtown let me, Silver let me, Spring. Let me interrupt you just for a minute. I think you were talking about Gerald. I think you were talking about Gerald Oh, I'm talking Horn, about Gerald not, not the... Uh, yeah, uh -oh. yeah, right. Uh -oh. Yeah, they... they uh, well, no, we... Never mind. No, we in the same... No, no, no. We're in the same family, and I have a high degree of respect for my brother's scholarship. And he, hey, he's a he's a great intellectual. All right. Yeah, oh. he was here a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, he was Thanks, here. Thanks, Kevin. All right, then. All right. Never mind. Uh, 30 minutes after the top of the hour. <laughs> brother Nkosi is calling from Chicago. Brother Nkosi, good morning. You're on with Dr. Horn. Good morning, Carl. Dr. Horn. Uh, good morning, uh, brother. To listeners. China uh, is... Uh, fastly approaching the United States and rivaling the United States as a world power. And it's been massively investing in Africa, however, differently than the colonists have been investing just for resources. 
they've been building infrastructure with all kind of little side benefits. I was wondering what safeguards should African countries uh, uh, use to uh, stop the Chinese in case it becomes their intent from colonizing Africa? And one more question. Before, uh, what's the best way for an individual to trace uh, slaves as ancestors? Th- those two questions, and I'll hang up. AfricanAmericanAncestry.com uh, tends to work best for us uh, in terms of um, Black ancestry, in terms of getting back to the continent, and uh, even in terms of uh, the establishment of slavery and uh, and the evolution of it in this country, remember in in terms of keeping records of slaves in this country for the longest time, the census did not do that. They didn't even count um, uh, um, slaves as whole people, so they were not part of the population. And they didn't start actually doing that until the uh, um, the late late 1700s. Anyway, the um, the other issue, the larger issue, China has a mission. China has a uh, a, a point of view that it is trying to um, accomplish and then maintain. China has this long game, this long plan about. Uh, some people call it world domination. Some people just call it Chinese control of everything that's Chinese. But China has a plan. And since Africa controls 70% of all of the world's rare earth elements that modern technology has to have, there is no computer, there is no Apple phone, there is no Google phone. There are no electronic devices without uh, the rare earth elements that come out of Africa. So fine, China wants to make sure that it has access to and sometimes control over the resources that come out of Africa. And that may include making deals with whatever administration happens to be present at the time. It, that may include bringing in Chinese workers to build stuff after they've made uh, uh, contractual deals in East Africa and West Africa. But China, China is working on how, does, how to build up the Chinese presence in the world. China has a, a, uh, an objective. Africans, African leadership needs to have that same kind of objective. How do I make sure that Ghanaians on this continent and in the world get their fair share? Whatever they produce and put on the world market, how do I make sure they get the best prices for that? How do I make sure that the Ghanaians have the food, clothing, education that that they need? In other words, we have to identify what we need out of a situation, out of a relationship, and then make sure we set the stage to obtain what we need, as opposed to simply letting other people determine 
what is going to happen in the situation, and they always benefit, and we always get um, um, subjugated. We always get taken advantage of. Situation. Hold on, throw right there, Dr. Horn. And we've got to take another short break, take our last look at the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. I'll let you finish your thought on the other side. Brother Arthur in Connecticut has a question for you. We're 26 minutes away from the top of the hour. We'll be back in four minutes with Dr. Horn and your questions right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power.